Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a Hall of Fame sports writer who has covered a legendary baseball franchise for over four decades and has stories to share about Cardinal legends like Bob Gibson, Albert Pujols, and Lou Brock. He would always call me Junior. I think even when he was rebuking me, he says, Junior, you haven't been around long enough to say those things. At some point, I started calling him Junior. So it was like Junior and Junior for the next 30 or 40 years. And people were looking at him, Junior, what are you talking about? And I said, no, it's a long story. Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers, and coaches, writers, and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the Sandlots to the big league ballparks. Life at the Ballpark is sponsored by Golden Rule Entertainment. Have you ever wanted to own a part of a baseball team? Well, now you can. Visit goldenruleentertainment.com to get in on the game. I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Rick Hummel, sports writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and honored in 2007 with the J.G. Taylor Spink Award for baseball writing at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Yes, that Hall of Fame. Rick Hummel, Hall of Famer Rick Hummel. Thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. You bet, John. It's good to see you. Good to see you. And spring training is more back to normal this time than any of the time the last couple of years. What's this journey been like for you? Well, I, I don't like playing only 15 games this year. Actually, 14, as it turns out now, because the Cardinals got rained out of one the other night. So we haven't had a full schedule of games here since 2019. 2020, we got about, what, 15, 20 games in. And then 21, there was about 23 or 4, but every fifth day you were off, just like this year, because they played only the four other teams down in the, this part of the country, this part of the state. So and having only 14 games is not enough for me to get a real read on anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, not anything, but not a lot of things. Right, right. It's hardly fair to some of the young players who didn't get much of a chance because you got to get the regulars in shape. You know, at a certain point, they got to get their bats, and young guys are out of luck. Mm-hmm. So how many spring trainings now for you? This is my 45th. 45th. Yeah. 25 here and 20 in uh, St. Petersburg. So you've seen some baseball. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little, uh, I like the other side better in that there are more teams over there. You see more teams to play, more American League teams. I'm over here, I'd rather see more American League teams. Houston's the only American League team here. I mean, I'm going to see the Mets and Miami and Washington anyway this year. I want to see the Tigers and the Yankees and Toronto Blue Jays. They haven't played the Toronto Blue Jays since they left there, you know, in in, in spring training anyway. They do play them during the season this year. You know, I was thinking there were so many big stories leading up to spring training this year that we we almost lose track of them. For instance, Ollie Marmel being named manager shortly after the season ended. Then we get into the lockout. Then we get into Yachty coming back and Wayno coming back. And then, of course, we had some big news. Tell me about your reaction to hearing in the news about number five. Well, I was happy to hear it. I had thought about it a bunch, and then it seemed as if they were content with seeing if Juan Yepes could be the designated hitter, at least against left-handed pitching, and they figured out right. And then they, they signed Corey Dickerson early in camp to be the DH against right-handed pitching, and they thought Yepes would be the, would be the other guy against left-handers, but, and he was – not very impressive, actually. It especially wasn't very impressive in the field when they tried to play him at first base. So I guess the light should have gone on that the, the Pujols train was, was, leaving, was coming into the station, maybe. But I didn't, I didn't quite think that all the way through. So I was a little surprised, yeah. Ple- but pleasantly so. Because I like Albert, and I, I think 
well, the fans love him. They, you know, there was about he left after the 2011 season. There was maybe three months that they were mad about that, and then after that, they said, "Oh, that's okay." You know, they never thought he'd be back to play for him. Maybe, maybe they thought he would be. And then the, the two times he came back to play there, 2019 with the Angels and 2021 with the Dodgers, was like the that the Pope had come into town, you know, <laughs> that, that, uh, which he did. But um, a few years before that, but uh, all was forgiven for sure. And and when they he hops on one of those convertibles or trucks or whatever they use when the season starts, the place will go nuts. I've heard that that trip in with the Angels to St. Louis was healing for a lot of people. Do you think it was? Probably. I remember going to. Tampa Bay. The Angels were on a trip about a week and a half ahead of that. They were going to go to Tampa Bay and, and then Minneapolis and then St. Louis. That was their trip. So I thought I'd get down there. I had covered the Cardinals in Miami anyway. So I went over to Tampa to see Albert for the first couple of games of a weekend series. Then they're going to Minnesota. Then we're coming to St. Louis. So he let me have about an hour of his time before the Friday night game. He said that he didn't know how he'd be received when he got back. I said, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> I'm telling you how you're going to be received. And, and it was, I was, I was barely on, on it. You know, it was much more than I thought even, you know, it was the place just went crazy. And the, in, in the first night, Brad Osmus was still managing the Angels then. Angels were rallying kind of late. Albert, of course, had to play in the field because there was no DH in the National League. Thing. He was playing first base. And he took him out for a pinch runner in like the eighth inning. And Albert looked over at the dugout and Osmond said, are you, what? <laughs> no, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he kind of trudged off the field. And, and uh, I, I'm sure that was a, Brad had rethought that. He would think, I can't do that here. Well, then Albert homered the next game in a place that, you know, went up for grabs then. And then he played the last game and was treated as, as a, he had never left. In fact, he, he was treated even better than when he was there. You know, he, was, he was treated well when he was playing there, but... Uh, and then the Dodgers came in last year after Albert had signed with them, and he hit another home run, and that's not surprisingly, of course. Uh, and there's almost no doubt in my mind that he'll do something monumental. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a home run or a clutch hit or whatever, but he's not going over four. Now, you had a chance to visit with him recently. Yeah, and uh, he said it's different now. He's not the engineer on the train anymore. He's just one of the passengers, which is a nice thing to say because that's, that's true. He's a part-time player probably. And in the big-picture framework, maybe he wouldn't be starting against J.T. Brubaker, a hard-throwing right-hand run opening day. And he would play mostly against left-handers, which he was much more successful against last year. But Ali Marmol announced that he, Albert's plan, and he almost had to. You can't have the, him circle the, in, the, the outfield and the infield and, and the trucks or convertibles or whatever and then the fans all jazzed up for seeing him play and then he's not. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this Marmol guy? <laughs> so that was the only decision he could make and he's going to be batting fifth and batting behind uh, Arenado and we'll see how it goes. How many games can he play? I don't know. How will he do? I don't know. I don't want him to fail. I don't, want, and I don't think anybody there wants him to fail. You want to see Albert go out because this is last year. You want to see him go out. He won't be at, at the top of his game because he's 42 years old. But if he has a good year, helps him win, people will be happy with that. And I, nobody wants to see him have a bad year. And if he was having a bad year, well, he'll just quit, I think. He won't tie up a roster spot if he can't play anymore. Well, he's obviously one of the all-time great Cardinals. And we are, we are witnessing <clears throat> history with him returning. And you have another story about 
one of the all-time great Cardinals that I'd love for you to share about the story when you went to see Bob Gibson in Omaha, Nebraska. Would you share that story? This was in um, 19, let me think about this, 81. He was going to go in the Hall of Fame that year. And it was during the player strike. You know, they went on strike in June, so I had some time. So I went out to Omaha. I called him, decided to do a story. And, and we had gotten along pretty well at the end of his career, you know, 73, 74, 75. He, he seemed amused that he could have somebody else to talk to that was going to be interviewing him. He'd already given all the other reporters a hard time. He thought he'd take it easy on me, maybe. Or maybe he wouldn't take it easy on me, but he was, he was, we got along fine. So he said, why don't you meet me at a restaurant in Omaha? So I flew out on a morning during the week, met him at his restaurant. We talked for a while, had some drinks. And then uh, he said, let's go out to the house. I said, I just built this new deck out here. We, uh, no. Why don't you stay for dinner? I said, okay. He's going to make some steaks. And I, it suddenly dawned on me that I had to do a radio show that night. And I said, I, I, gee, I said, no, just do it. From, do it not, we can do it from here. And I said, okay. So we have dinner. We talk some more. We go back down to the restaurant at night. More talking, more interviewing, more drinks. <laughs> and now it's about 10 o'clock maybe. And we're walking to our cars. I was going to stay over at one of the hotels there, and they were going back home. And his wife, Wendy, was with them. He says, Wendy, 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 can you believe I've been talking to a sports writer for nine hours? <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little surprising, but it was nine hours. It was about one to ten, you know, with the dinner break in between and the radio show in between. And we got along real well ever since, and, and I would call him about, stuff and he would answer the phone he'd say what <laughs> that meant okay you were in you were in the door and we asked your next question <laughs> i mean he knew who it was if he didn't want to talk he wouldn't answer it but what <laughs> i love that story he was one of my all-time favorite cardinals even though i only covered him for three years and those weren't his best years <laughs> mm-hmm. especially the last one but he he'd give you an answer Always a straight answer, and sometimes it wasn't the one you were expecting. You know, you, those are the best kinds. You know, you, you, maybe 85% of the time you ask a question, you know what the answer is going to be. You just want to hear the guy say it. But then you ask him a question, and you go, he'll come out of left field with something, and you turn your head and say, well, okay. Thanks for That's nice. That's a better answer than I could have expected. And, uh, you know, he battled at cancer for about a year or so, at pancreatic cancer, and it just... There's only losers in that category. Nobody wins that one, you know. He got another year. and then, But he used to let me have breakfast with him and Wendy at the Hall of Fame. They enjoyed my, my company for no apparent reason, but they, but they did. And he's one of my all-time, all-times. I remember Jack Buck talking about interviewing. One of the things that he said is he, is he always knew his first question, but he never knew his last question. Yeah. That's well said. That's well said. Sometimes you have a last question in mind, and then and you maybe announce that to somebody, and then you ask one more, and like, like Molina will catch me on there. I say, you said the last one was your last question. I said, well, I, I did say that. But <laughs> And there was one I asked Molina that they got the best answer from him maybe two years ago. He gave me about an hour before one of the workouts here. We talked about him being a potential manager when he's done playing. I said, he's going to manage the Venezuelan league this year. I don't think he wants to manage in, in the big leagues. I said, you know, that would be hard on you having to do a media session before the game, after the game. 
He said, no. And he, and he jabbed his finger at my chest. He said, it would be hard on you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> Tell me about Lou Brock. I, I know you had a long relationship with Lou Brock. Well, it didn't start out very well. I, I was a part-time guy. Then I took over the beat in 78, which was his awful year when he hit 221, I think. And um, Vern Rapp was the manager at that point. And he said that Brock was at the end of his career, you know, and Brock... I apparently took umbrage with that because for the next two or three months toward the end of the season, he wouldn't talk to me at all. And finally, in spring training of 79, which proved to be his last season and a successful one, I sat down and said, okay, now, where did we go wrong here, you know? And then he pointed out he thought I had disrespected him by writing what somebody, he thought I had said that. I had just quoted somebody else as saying that. And so he, he now... Explained why he hadn't talked to me for well three months in the in the season and six more months in the audience for nine months. You know, he explained why. So I didn't have the I hadn't been around long enough to criticize his as being done or not done. And he may have had a point there. It wasn't my intent, but he read it that way. And then when the season happened, every place he was going to play, some service club would honor him on an afternoon before a night game, and he asked me to come along with him to every every place: Montreal, New York, Chicago, any place. And they made some good stories, but just, he just wanted me to, to come along because we were getting along fine then. And I really enjoyed that season. You know, every, every, he would, must have been tired because he had to spend two or three hours. It's always a lunch thing, you know, and he'd question and answer autographs, and he'd go and get back in a cab and go to the ballpark. And, and he still had 304, I think, that year. And as he said, orchestrating, he orchestrated his own exodus, which sounded kind of silly at the time he said it. And I thought, well, you know, I guess he did. <laughs> He, he retired and he orchestrated his own exodus. Go out on your own terms. That's right. Mm-hmm. So he would always call me Junior. <laughs> I think, you know, in fact, even when he was rebuking me, he says, Junior, you haven't been around long enough to say those things. So I, and at some point I started calling him Junior. So it was like Junior and Junior for the next <laughs> 30 or 40 years. And people were looking at him, Junior, what are you talking about? And I said, no, it's a long story. It's a <laughs> That's great. Well, it's always fun catching up with you every spring training. I enjoy your work. Your Hall of Fame status is obviously well-deserved. And thank you for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Well, thanks, John. I've always enjoyed visiting with you, too. And I'm sorry it wasn't for many more games than just the, what we have, seven home games, something like that. Yeah, Seven or eight. That's not right. Tune in each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is sponsored by Golden Rule Entertainment. Ever wanted to own a part of a baseball team? Well, now you can. Visit goldenruleentertainment.com to get into the game. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. Project manager is Paul Adams. I'm John Frost, sharing stories each week of Life at the Ballpark. <laughs>